Hello. Together early. It's really good. Um, so I want to I want to share a bit with you this morning uh, about a talk I want to call "Being a Father to the Fatherless," and it starts a bit like this. It says, um, "Recently, uh, the Department of Education for the UK released the annual figures for children that showed a rise of just over 2,000 of the number of children in the care system in the UK." And the Fostering Network, which is a charity dedicated to raising awareness and supporting carers, estimated or estimates that a further 8,600 new foster carers are needed in the next year. And at the end of 2018, there were 2,750 children waiting for adoption in England alone. And 39% of these have been waiting more than 18 months for an adoptive family. And in the same uh, month, a report came out released by Action for Children stating that 85% of UK adults were not interested in fostering in the UK. Now, I don't know what those numbers do to you, but they actually deeply affect me as I think about children and young people that are being ripped from a place that's incredibly difficult into a complete unknown in their lives. But before I get into that, though, I want to share a little bit about me and about my life. Now, myself, my wife, and my two birth kids started fostering around 10 years ago. And after a few months of waiting, our first foster daughter came into our home. Now, we started fostering for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I was doing quite a lot of youth work already, um, and I had a real sense that I should be serving the more vulnerable in our society. And secondly, my wife is a therapist, and she works with kids who have gone through trauma, who have been adopted and fostered, and she never wanted to tell people um, to do things that she hadn't personally experienced herself. To be empathic in your experiences is so useful. Thirdly, and I suppose this was the biggest reason for us, I think God tells us to do this. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, we don't get many orphans as we would maybe think about it in our country. But as I said at the beginning, you don't have to look very far to realize that there are literally thousands of kids who don't have a mum or a dad or a family that can love them or look after them properly. Now, when Lisa arrived at our house, she clearly had experienced some trauma in her life. And she was frightened at the prospect of living with another family. And because of her early experiences, she'd forged this worldview of herself that she was not worth loving. And as we journeyed together, and we tried to convince her otherwise, she would do everything in her power to convince us that it was not true. You see, in those early days, it was too painful to trust adults again. It was too difficult to allow herself to be vulnerable. Essentially, I would put it like this. You are surrounded by love, but you will not accept it as you don't trust or want it. Her worldview, to some extent, was set. And such was a trauma that she couldn't even enjoy things like the cinema because she couldn't see where the exits were in the dark. Because when she would go to school, she would arrive an hour early 
so that she could clock everyone going in to make sure she knew exactly what was going on. And she would never tell you what was going on for her because that meant giving away control. And that, in her experience, never worked out. We were Lisa's fourth foster placement. We were together for three and a half years. Over that time, our family and our church loved her through highs and lows. And we learned what it was to choose love rather than just feel it. And through all this time, she gave us a little bit of vulnerability. And she would allow us to help her be the child that she needed to be. And she would regress to a place that she'd been robbed of before. Essentially, she was becoming the child that she was always meant to be. It was like she somehow was reclaiming those early years that she had to survive with her birth family through. But within a short period of time, though, she would remember that we were adults and then convinced herself that we were going to give up on her because that's what adults do. And it was a cycle that she went through. But as I said before, in these times, we were allowed into forging a new worldview with Lisa and helping her understand what was happening inside of her. I remember one day I was encouraged on a training course to ask a question. We were encouraged to go back to any of the people in our family. And it, it was this question. It might be something you've never thought about before. The question was this. What do you value in your relationship with me? Has anyone ever asked anyone that thing? Of course you haven't. No one does. So I went back and I said to Noah, who is my birth son, I said, Noah, what do you value in your relationship with me? He said, Dad, have you been on a course? <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to work with him. So I, uh, I asked Lise, and um, she, she, wasn't very, she didn't like talking like that. You know, it was a bit too close. But what she did do, and she always did, was she would go away, she would write something down, and then she'd push it underneath our bedroom door so that you could read it later on. And uh, she wrote this. Now, don't worry if you don't read Teenage. I can translate for you. The first one says this. You are there if I have a worry about something. You're there to help. Secondly, you look out for me. Third, I can trust you with a lot of stuff. Number four, you love me when I get really angry. Number five, you give me good quality food, which I love. Now, I don't know how many times I've read this, but still it fills me with emotion. Sorry, I'm a bit of a wuss about this stuff, by the way. So I might start crying at any point. Anyway, you see, Lise, she came from a place where dissociation and neglect were her life. And in this set of answers, all the things that I took for granted in day-to-day -day relationships with my kids told me about how she really felt about me and about how she felt about her home. You see, for her, being loved when she was angry was new before she would get beaten for that, before she didn't have anyone looking out for her, so she had to go it alone, before she didn't know if a meal was coming or not. And these simple things that we take for granted are not everybody's story. I was learning what it meant to look after the orphan. I was learning what it meant to love a whole other level. I was learning about the kind of love that Jesus spoke about in the Bible. A love that's given when you're not given much or anything back, but you're called to do it anyway. But it wasn't just us, though. 
People inside my church journeyed with her. They invested in her. They had her over for a few hours when she couldn't stand us anymore. And they loved her too. They still do. They saw who she could be and what she was always meant to be. After three and a half years, Lisa had to leave our care. It broke our hearts. and We didn't know if we were going to see her again. What did it mean? We felt like we'd lost a daughter, and our kids had lost a sister. Our church had lost one of their youth. And it occurred to me that we would never have made it this far without our church. We could never have made it this far alone. And we wouldn't certainly be able to foster again without our church, without them. But six months after she left, I was stood in church, and I was chatting to a mate, and I felt these two arms grab me from behind. And there she was. She'd bounced around a few homes and she'd landed in another one which was a little bit more stable. And she'd requested to be taken to church. Our church. Now I don't think she missed a Sunday from that point. But in September 2018 we had the privilege of her speaking from the front about how much the Lord had helped her and shown her what love was. How we as a family had and do love her and how the church had never given up. <laughs> Excuse me. She got baptised that morning. So here's my point. What if the church and people in our networks could be known for making sure that no kid in Baines was left without a loving home? And what if you somehow could be part of that whether it be taking in a kid yourself, and I know what some of you are already thinking, I'm too old for that. Believe me, I can challenge you about that afterwards. Or maybe you could help others to do so. What if your legacy is one where a young person looks at you and says it was because of your love and care that that changed everything for them? What if the network of people around you could support you and a young person in your care so they could relearn what love really looks like? What if you could give a child a home where they could be a child again? One where they don't have to feel scared of domestic violence anymore. One where they can slowly learn that there will be a meal waiting for them rather than having to find it themselves. One where they can learn that they are worth loving and deserve a fair shot at life. God is really clear about this stuff as well. It says in Matthew 18.5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You see, the church to Lisa was never about singing or a sermon. It was about the people in it. It was about feeling safe and feeling loved, even when she rejected it. She actually helped me understand, to some extent, what a good church was. I asked my wife, what's the number one cause of breakdowns in foster and adoptive placements? And she said, oh, love... It's nearly always the network around that carer or family that can't or won't help. So let me challenge you, what better environment than a church than being committed to supporting and loving and giving a young person this belief that they have unending value? At the end of 2017, I started working for a charity called Home for Good in the Baines area. The charity's got a very simple mandate, and that is to find a home for every child that needs one in the UK. Now, that sounds like a tall order, but how about if I frame it like this? Around 15,000 kids 
in some way are needing a loving home in the UK. And there are about 15,000 churches. The maths is not very difficult, is it? So I'm encouraging people into fostering an adoption. I'm supporting those that do so. And I'm working with churches and key leaders around our area to understand the need and to create environments just like yours that um, can come around families and people know that they are loved and they're supported by their church. And I really believe that the church has got so much to say here and that a group of people who look at a kid who believes that they are worthless can start the job of rebuilding and reminding them of their worth. Do you know what that means to a kid from one of these backgrounds? It can change everything. Don't you think that Jesus in the Christmas story is showing us that the divine is amongst the vulnerable? And I can share as a bloke that to be a dad to someone who doesn't have one, to be a guiding voice, a steady hand, a voice of encouragement rather than fear, it is the ultimate pleasure to give a sceptical young person or to have a sceptical young person accept you as their father figure. There are so many kids who are orphans of a dad and mum who can give them what they need to thrive. You know the statistics for kids leaving care at the moment? 22% of female care leavers become teenage parents. 24% of the adult prison population are care leavers. 11% of homeless young people are care leavers. 38% of care leavers are not in education training or employment. You know what these numbers tell me? That they've never found the home and the love that they accept. They tell me that the chances are they haven't found that rock of someone that they call mum and dad and that sees them as their kid. As I've said, I'm not saying this is an easy life. Far from it. In fact, it might be the most difficult thing you've ever done. Helping someone who has been hurt in some of these ways may push you to the edge. But I do want to say this. It is worth it. This is about helping someone rediscover who they were always meant to be. This is about identity and family. This is about being a home for good. You know, every day or two, Lisa and I message one another, even though we've got another foster daughter now. She asks me about my day, and we talk about her plans, and my kids see her when they can as well. And we drive each other nuts still. I can promise you that. <laughs> But I tell you what, she calls me dad. She calls me dad. Now, recently, we had an event in Bath Abbey with Home for Good. And Lisa, a little while back, said, you know what we should do, dad? We should go on tour together. I said, okay. And so she stood up and she told her story in Bath Abbey. And I know one or two of you were there. And it was incredibly powerful. But this is the beginning of our tour so Lisa would love to come and share a bit of her story with you. Is that okay? Come on up, Lisa. All right. Don't forget, stand close. Hello. As I was growing up in care, as I was growing up with my sister Charlie, who was my closest sibling, we grew up with our other siblings and our birth family. Growing up in our family home wasn't a good experience. As we saw violence between our mum and dad, our dad would go out and go out and get drunk 
and then he would come home and start smashing the place up. He would throw plates, cups, and would hurt my mum. My dad would then hit me and my brothers and sisters. My brother rang the police, and they came straight away. The police arrested my dad. Then the police took me and my siblings away from our family home. All of us were placed into care. Charlie was eight and I was five. We were put with our first foster, foster family. My brothers were put somewhere else. We would have contact with them once a month and we would meet to see our birth parents as well. They never turned up, though they would make excuses. Me and my brothers and sisters would get really excited about meeting them, but then we were let down. When we were with our first foster parents, Charlie would do all the talking as I was really nervous and scared. I was still in shock because we were not with our family. After a while, Charlie and I had to move again as our current foster carers were getting too old to look after a couple of young kids. We, meet, we met our new foster family in Birmingham, where I am from, for the first time. I was really nervous, but, but Charlie was okay meeting them. Charlie did all the talking for me as I didn't really know what was going on as I was young. Charlie and me moved to Trowbridge to be with our new foster family. Charlie and I lived there for three years, but eventually Charlie and I had to split up because the placement didn't work for her. Charlie and I stayed there for a few months. Fortunately, there were some problems in the family that meant that I had to move again. But I, before I moved, meeting was... Before I was moved, a meeting was set up to meet my new foster family. The meeting was for me to get used to them and see if we liked each other. I met Carly and Dave at a family fun day with their two birth kids. When I eventually moved into the Kingswoods household, I didn't speak much because I was shy, upset, and didn't know what to expect. When I was at Carly and Dave's, I would worry about whether getting whether they were going to give me a hot dinner, as I was always minded at home. I was neglected by my birth mum and dad. It was, a diff it was difficult to, to change my thinking about which adults would look after me properly, as I was neglected for my first few years. I have to say, growing up with Christians was a bit weird because I didn't know what being a Christian was until I went to church with Carly and Dave. Grow going to church for the first time was a bit of a shock to the system. It took me a long time to trust people in the church as there were a lot of new faces and people I had, I had never met before. Slowly I started trusting some more people like my youth worker. Carly used to read a Bible story to her two kids, knowing hope before bed. I would go and listen, but I didn't really understand. I, I then joined the local youth group, youth club on a weekend and a weekday at church. Living with Carly and Dave gave me so many memories. We went on a holiday, and after a long time, I decided to call them mum and dad. My old memories and feelings got the better of me a while, after a while. I then became a bit unsafe in some and some of my many behaviours for Nair and Hope. After a while, I was put into another foster placement, but when I got there, I realised I missed my church. So I asked to go to church. I asked to go. They brought me back to my church every Sunday. On the first Sunday, I went up behind my dad 
and put my arms around him and we hugged for ages. After a while, church after a while of being in church, I realized that I wanted God to be in my life. After, and I wanted God to be in my life, and I asked to be baptized. My dad couldn't really pray for me because he kept crying. <laughs> having the life I have, having the life I have had is really tough. I still struggle, I still have struggles now, and I still have memories of dark times in my life. Having a path like mine is really hard, but letting a vulnerable kid into your home will teach you a lot. You get to support them in, any, in every way you can. Allowing a vulnerable kid into your home means that you are showing them how to take care of, care of themselves again, who are also protecting them against any harm. Although it sounds difficult growing up in care, was the best thing that happened to me. I've learned so much that I would not have been taught if I was at home. I can use the washing machine, I can cook for myself and other people, and I know how to pay for bills. For those of you who don't already do so, I recommend you guys to foster or adopt because you could really help someone, someone's life by helping them and caring for them. I really appreciate the help for, I really appreciate the help foster families have done for me, and I want to say a big thank you to my mum and dad for helping me become who I am today. I'm really grateful, and I still go to church every Sunday. Hello.